AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Texas back in Bama territory. Ewers from the pocket. Now he'll loft one downfield. A ton of air running underneath it. Worthy's got it for a touchdown. The deep shot this offense has been seeking desperately. They strike from 44. And you got to love Sark and the culture on display tonight, battling in year three. He'll row. Delivers right into the hands of the Longhorn. Intercepted by Jaron Thompson, his second mistake. He steps out inside the 10. That is a disastrous play for Milrow, his second pick tonight. Goes right under five. Guriel finds a gap. Fans on the run. Ortega over to cut it off. Lourdes heading for second. He's got a hustle and he's going to be out. As McNeil chases him down, Pham stays put at third. Lourdes, a little too aggressive that yeah, time. Really not a smart play. That ball's right in front of you. You see it. You see how well he cut that ball off there in left center field. He's got his pitch. 1-2 to Pete Alonzo. That's trouble. That's going to get all the way to the wall. Beatty will score. Lindor being waved home. The Polar Bear with a two-run double, and it's 4-0 New York. Center field, Ortega's there. And it's a rough night in New York. Diamondbacks out hit 11-6 by the Mets. Outpitched by Joey Lucchese. Zach Gallen knocked around. It's a 7-1 Met win. With two minutes left in a four-point game. Kirk Cousins back to throw on fourth and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh, my goodness. Justin Jefferson pulled it in. The catch of his life. Second down and 10. Good protection. End zone pick. Pass is intercepted by Slay. A flag is down at the 25. It's a broken bat. Comebacker right through Scherzer's legs. Fielded right over second by Simeon, who gets the throw off in time. And now time is called. I'm going out to the hill. Mike Maddox also headed out there, as is skipper Bruce Bochy and head athletic trainer Matt Lucero. Remember, earlier this season, Scherzer felt a little forearm tightness and ended up uh, coming out of a game. I don't know if uh, they saw something there after that particular pitch, but Scherzer is the one doing all the talking now. Avoids the foul. He had gone with two hands, and he might have gotten away with it. Foul in the drive. And kick. Leonard for three. Got it. One-point game. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Thursday, September 14th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Castlux HD 2 100.7. 
Texas, is it really back this time? Alabama, is it a legitimate national championship contender? The Diamondbacks, what's happened to the offense? Uh, Vikings and Eagles, who you got tonight against the spread in Philadelphia? Lots of injuries on both sides. I'll go through those in a couple, at least some of them in a couple minutes here. Uh, the Rangers, are they done? Because Max Scherzer is apparently done, at least for this season. Uh, the NBA, will the new load management rules work? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. Uh, 9.15, around college football, David Kenyon of uh, Bleacher Report. Go through several topics. Obviously, Texas and Alabama will be amongst those. 9.30, interactive action, 602-260-1060. And also the local roundup. That will include analysis of yet another bad Diamondbacks loss to the lowly Mets. And then in the final segment of the sports zone will be the national roundup. That will be topped by little MLB scoreboard action and whatever else I can jam into that final segment of the hour. Then after the sports zone from 10 to noon, it is the extra point hosted by Kayla. That will include more phone call time and uh, plenty more sports analysis. And I'm in a preview of tonight's game with the Eagles and the Vikings. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, is University of Texas really back this time? And Corey is here and has the early returns. Right here we have, yes, barely 33% there, but no in charge. 67% there on KDUS1060.com. Yeah, we've all been fooled with the Longhorns' early season victories in past seasons, at least some of them. But uh, the Texas is back thing, I think it's now a legitimate question because they significantly outcoached and outplayed Alabama last Saturday, which leads us to the day's Twitter poll question. Is Alabama not a legitimate national title contender? Uh, championship contender is the phrase that we used here. And uh, what's going on here, Corey? This one is very close. Yes, barely in the lead, 54.5%. No, at 45.5% right now on KDUSAM1060 on Twitter. In addition to being outcoached and outplayed, Alabama was also defeated at the line of scrimmage and did not look as athletic as Texas on Saturday. Meanwhile, on the local front, uh, the Diamondbacks' uh, bats were silent again. They're now 1-5 this season against the New York Mets. Uh, the last two nights, they've lost to starting pitchers Jose Buto and also Joey LaCasey, who used to be with the Padres back in the day. Uh, he was in the minor leagues like Tuesday and pitched against the Diamondbacks Wednesday. What has happened to the Diamondbacks' offense since the All-Star break? Spanning the globe. Injuries are often the uh, a key story, or a storyline at least, on Thursday night football. It's uh, the first Thursday night football of the season, at least as far as the uh, you know, prime video or whatever you know, network this has gone tonight. Uh, but th- this is really going to be a big deal tonight. You know, the Vikings are without starting center Garrett Bradbury because of a neck injury. 
They might be without left tackle Christian Derisaw and edge rusher Marcus Davenport, who are both questionable with ankle injuries. Meanwhile, the Eagles are without at least three starters. Running back Kenneth Gainwell has a rib issue, plus defensive backs James Bradbury with a concussion and Reed Blankenship with ribs. They're both out also. So, who you got tonight? ATS, the Eagles now down to a six-and-a-half point favorite in this game tonight. So you got the Eagles minus six-and-a-half or the Vikings plus six-and-a-half. Max Scherzer done for the rest of the regular season. A Wednesday MRI confirmed that he has a significant pitching shoulder injury. Is it safe to say that the Rangers are done uh, with Max Scherzer out for the rest of the regular season? Meanwhile, the NBA will try to lessen the load management. The NBA Board of Governors voted Wednesday to approve tougher resting policy rules and also have punishments for star players who sit out games. Will the NBA be able to enforce the new rules to prevent load management? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, it's the pipeline for today. We get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational one-hour radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category. So whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules, or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey, we have a news update that will be followed by around college football. We will cover many topics, Texas, Alabama, the SEC, the Pac-12, Ohio State, Notre Dame, they play next week. We'll cover all those things and more with David Kenyon from Bleacher Report. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, it'll be phone call time, 602-260-1060. General discussion at that point, 602-260-1060. Also, we'll get to some local roundup topped by the Diamondbacks. Another anemic offensive performance against the lowly New York Mets. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Cast Lux HD2 100.7. Hey, football fans, this is the Rooster. Join me all day Sunday as No Huddle will be broadcasting live and giving away prizes from Social Tap, located in the heart of Old Town Scottsdale on the corner of Stetson and Drinkwater. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castle X HD 2 100.7. You're home with the Dan Patrick Show live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. All right, a lot of role reversal, a role reversal, he tried to say. I need to say that slower. Role reversal going on in college football. At least, uh, I know it's only two weeks, but still, uh, out to the KDUS hotline we go to go around college football. We're now joined in the sports zone by David Kenyon of Bleacher Report. David, let's start with the uh, role reversal theme here with Texas winning at Alabama. I've been avoiding this Texas is back 
theme and narrative in question for years, but after Saturday night at Tuscaloosa, I feel obligated to ask you, David, is Texas back? It's more fun if they are, right, Bob? Thanks so much for having me again. Good to good to be with you. But Texas is Texas is backer than they've been, in my opinion, in a long time. Because even when even when uh, Sam Ellinger, after that uh, that bowl win, said we're back, well, you right. know they they were already in a bowl game that wasn't a place that would define you as back. I mean, they they played well and everything that season, but that wasn't back. And then they turned around and were not back. But, like you said, role reversal. You go into Alabama, and I, I know it's not a classic Alabama team um, that, that just overwhelms you. Big quarterback problem. We can maybe talk about that later. But Texas dominated the end of that game. And Texas did not dominate the end of games in big games for, what, 15 years now? 14 years, whatever it is that this was a different look of a Texas team that we hadn't seen in a long time, largely thanks to Quinn Ewers, Ewers for sure. In addition to Ewers and then dominating at the end of that game, what also most impressed you about that Texas win? Honestly, I think it was Steve Sarkeesian. He looked like the Alabama offensive coordinator who could not be stopped. Like, whatever it was that Texas needed to do, Texas got through play calling. It was an absolute clinic from Sarkeesian that really didn't happen last season, and it was kind of like, okay, is being a head coach overwhelming what he could do as a play caller? But but he was awesome in this game, picking apart obviously what is one of the best coach defenses you can possibly have being a Nick Saban team. Okay, let's cover the Alabama side of things here, and I understand – and fully admit that this might be an overreaction question, but is Alabama a legitimate national championship contender this season? I'm, with the look of it right now, the offensive line, no. The quarterback, no. So that's that's two pretty, pretty big pieces of the puzzle there that right now are no. Now, we've been down this road before, and we should probably not question Alabama after two games. Um but look, man, that, that back-to-back of Tennessee and LSU in October, November, that's suddenly looking really not kind. <laughs> and then even you're going to see a nice stretch uh, against Ole Miss next weekend, followed by road games at Mississippi State and Texas A&M. And those are games Alabama has not had trouble with in the past, generally speaking. Obviously, they lost at A&M two years ago. But... If they have trouble with, you know, two of those three games, all three of those games, we can really start to be questioning how, how good this Alabama team actually is before they even get to the difficult part of the schedule. Okay, role reversal part two. The SEC may not be the most dominant conference. Is it too soon to uh, ask that question? And after Georgia, who's the second best team in the SEC? Well, I think that's that's the point of the question where people could go one of two ways. You know, I still think Georgia is the best team in the country. I think that I'm very confident with that. So if we're talking about the SEC not being the most dominant because it doesn't produce a national title contender, I'm not there. However, like you said, who is the number two? Alabama looked very flawed. Tennessee's offense has not been the explosive unit we saw last year. Um, 
Ole Miss looks okay, but I'm not sure any of us are really expecting Ole Miss to be better than, you know, nine wins, ten wins. LSU kind of got worked in that opener, so I still think LSU is probably the number two. I I do believe that they're going to bounce back pretty well to offense. I, I think is going to be overwhelming for a lot of teams, so I still think it's LSU. But it's a great question um, because it's it's not off to a great start after Georgia this year. David Kenyon of Bleacher Report, currently in the sports zone. All right, role reversal part three. Is the Pac-12 in its final season maybe the best conference? You know, I, I still think it's probably the Big Ten because we're we're in Michigan and Penn State, and then I still think Ohio State will figure it out. But, I mean, I've said all along this offseason, getting into the season, it's such a shame that the Pac-12 is imploding because – this is an awesome league this year. There's so much to like about the Pac-12 this year. Obviously at the top with USC, but then Oregon and Washington and Utah all kind of matching their billing. And Utah doesn't even have Cam Rising yet. Colorado, boom, I'm sure we'll get to that. But Oregon yeah. State looks good. UCLA dominated. San Diego State on the road last week. Wazoo gets a win over Wisconsin and on and on and on. And so I love the Pac-12 this year, so it's a shame. Yeah, usually in this part of September, I'm already declaring the Pac-12 eliminated from the college football playoff. But uh, uh, do they get a team to the CFP this season, and which Pac-12 team would be most likely to make that? I do think I do think it is USC, and that's certainly not a surprise to Anybody who's following college football, the, the Caleb Williams show just continues. It's, it's so impressive what USC is doing. And the defense, I still have concerns about for sure from a long-term perspective. Obviously, they, they really get into conference play this week, and then the only other non-conference game left on the schedule is at Notre Dame. Looking forward to being there. Um, but, I mean, you, you've got five road games, and of the remaining nine, six are currently ranked. So this is, this is a difficult, difficult, difficult schedule for USC. But if they can get through this 11-1, and win the Pac-12 championship, there's no question with the strength of schedule they'll be in the college football playoff for sure. Okay, you mentioned Colorado. How good's Colorado? Oh, man, the question that haunts me every time this, this comes up. I still am not fully bought in on Colorado, so let's just make sure that Dion is listening to this, cut it up, and use that as material for the future. But it's the same thing. There, there are six ranked teams left on this schedule, um, and I, I just really don't think the offense is going to continue to um, beat up on defenses like it has. I mean, TCU's defense was pretty brutal to watch, and TCU's offense left about 17 points on the field anyway and already scored 42 in that game. So I still think, you know, a road trip to Oregon, a road trip to Utah, those are really tough. Going to UCLA is not going to be easy, and then USC is USC. Um, So I still think Colorado is not, you know, oh, my goodness, transcendent good, but this went from a, oh, they'd be lucky to make a bowl, in my opinion, so they'll probably get seven wins. And that's a huge success in, in the first year with 80 new players on a roster by far. Okay, yeah, Dion wouldn't like these next couple of questions either probably. 
Uh, how long does he stay in Boulder, and what might uh, be his next coaching job? You know, just lost in all of this, I, I'm not sure that's something I've contemplated to the level that it probably deserves. I am fascinated by the question um, because clearly he is going to be an attraction. And the longer he stays at Colorado, if it were to go south, then he becomes less attractive, obviously. But let's say he's there for two, three years, and they win seven, and they win nine, and they win ten games. You're going to see a big, big program offer him an opportunity. And so basically it just comes down to whether um, can Colorado pay him enough to stay? Does he want to be in a different kind of area as opposed to, you know, the mountains of Boulder. He's a Florida kid, right? He he grew up in North Fort Myers. He played in Atlanta. He played in Dallas. He played in Washington. So he's always been generally on the East Coast. So is that something that is an appeal for him personally? I don't know. So I think that's that's a big factor. But certainly if you see Colorado win for a couple years, you're going to see some huge schools, SEC schools, Big Ten schools, we're going to be putting up a lot of money to get prime over there. Role reversal part four. You might have already answered this, but is the Ohio State University offense not good? Yeah, um, <laughs> not a great start uh, for sure. I I'm leaving the optimism out there because now Kyle McCord is the full time starter officially as of this week. So I think that Ohio State is going to be much better than they have been so far. Um, There is so much talent, and you think as they settle in. And remember, McCord has only started two games in his college career. We should give him more than two weeks before we pounce on him too much. But look, that trip to Notre Dame next weekend, that that is going to be a huge test. Notre Dame has looked even better than I thought. This season, I figured we top 10, maybe just top 15, but around that top 10 window. This is looking like a top six, maybe just missed the college football playoff kind of team. So that is, that is a huge game. I'd still take Ohio State right now, but ask me after this weekend, and maybe I'll have a different, uh, different opinion after we see this Ohio State offense one more time. In fact, I was going to get to that game uh, next with Notre Dame. Uh, what's impressed you most about Notre Dame? I know it's three games, and they, you know, but they you know, NC State's defense had been really good for several years until last week. Yeah, I think it's the obvious one is Sam Hartman. I mean, he's he's throwing for all, over eleven yards per attempt right now. The the competition has not been good, but that's still a ridiculous number. Yeah, and so. The, the receiver by committee is working right now. The long-term projection of that is where I get curious, but they've, they've done really well so far just spreading the ball around. And I think, again, that might be a, a factor of the competition that they've had because I, I think it's just the offense that has been the most impressive. The defense has been solid, continually solid, but I don't think overwhelming because they're not creating a ton of pressure. They're doing well, but they're not getting in the backfield, you know, getting a ton of sacks. So they're, they're just kind of making, making do with good, sound defense instead of explosive defense. The explosiveness part has come from that offense, and you can ab- absolutely just trace that immediately to Sam Hartman's arrival.
Talking college football with uh, David Kenyon of Bleacher Report. Okay, so I think we're on the Texas might be back train here. Who's the second best team in the Big 12? Well, sticking with the offense team, Oklahoma looks really good so far, but I will stick with Kansas State right now. Um, that win over Troy last week probably didn't capture much attention given we were talking so much about Texas, Alabama, and, you know, Oregon plays Texas Tech. But mm-hmm. Troy's a good team with a good defense. I mean, they, they have three guys on the defensive front who were all-conference, you know, double-digit tackles for loss guys. And Kansas State beat them by 29. And, you know, oh, it, that's not a big deal, right? Well, Kansas State lost to Tulane early last year, right? And they go in and they play a very solid Troy team, and they smoke them. And they, they've been disruptive in two games. Um, and the offense just looks solid. And Will Howard has done a really nice job as quarterback. And so I still think it's Kansas State. A lot of experience on the offensive line, too. Love that. So I'm sticking with K-State. Oklahoma's right there, though. Okay. This week's schedule, at least going in, seems to lack some juice. Uh, there's no matchups between uh, top 25 teams. But... There are seven ranked teams going on the road, uh, so somebody's going down. I think I'm most intrigued by you know, the Tennessee at Florida game, but I'm more intrigued by the home team here. If this doesn't go well for Florida, how much heat's on Billy Napier? I think this is this is the kind of game that can make a hot seat discussion rational. Right now, today, he's very much on watch, but... Florida did not look good at Utah. I mean, the numbers would tell you that they, they weren't actually that bad. But watching the game, I think you'd come away with a different opinion where it's like Florida just yeah. looked out of control the entire game or lacking control, you know, not, not necessarily like a flying around, no idea what they're doing, but they just look like they could not handle Utah. And Utah has clearly been – the jewel of the Pac-12 lately, so I'm not criticizing Utah. But look, man, if you can't handle Utah, you are not getting through the SEC um, and certainly not competing at the level that Georgia will, will require of you in the SEC. Tennessee hasn't looked that good, like I said earlier this year, but if Tennessee goes into Gainesville and wins by 14, wins by 17, you're going to have a lot of angry people uh, in, in Florida right now. So we'll see. He. Napier could get on the hot seat if this gets ugly, but if it's a close loss, maybe it's like, all right, well, this is this is still not a good year, and it's pointing in the wrong direction, but they're still recruiting well enough that it might be okay. But, yeah, you, you could start hearing some different conversations as Tennessee goes in there and snacks Gators. Good stuff, David. We always appreciate the time, and we uh, look forward to talking to you over the next few months here. Thanks. Absolutely. David Kenyon, Bleacher Report. Check out all his work. Excellent stuff, as always, for Mr. Kenyon there. All right, next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060. Also today's local roundup. Unfortunately, topped by another Diamondbacks loss to the Mets. Not good so far this season. One in five against the Mets. The Diamondbacks have dominated teams this season other than the Mets that are under 500. But not the Mets. In the last two nights, have been really similar as to uh, the, the kind of the, uh, the the formula to the Diamondbacks not 
playing at a high level or a decent level. So we'll get in that a little bit. Of course, they play today at 1 o'clock uh, to conclude that series. I'm sure the Diamondbacks less than thrilled that that's not a uh, you know morning time start Arizona time because the Diamondbacks play a three-game series against the Cubs starting at Chase Field that starts tomorrow. So we'll get to that more in the next segment. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it is phone call time to the KDUS hotline 602-260-1060. Before we go any further, we do have some Major League Baseball breaking news, which is not local, but it's a big deal, so hit the music or whatever that theme is or the jingle or whatever we call it. Uh, the Red Sox have fired Heim Bloom uh, as their chief baseball executive. His official title was chief of ba- chief baseball officer. Uh, he's been there for four seasons. Little surprised that they fired him now, but whatever, whatever. But you know, ownership wouldn't pay Mookie bets, so that wasn't exactly a Heim Bloom thing. But he's out as the Red Sox uh, chief uh, baseball officer. All right, on to the local roundup. We'll get your phone calls also in this segment, 602-260-1060. If you're on hold, I'll get to you in just a couple of seconds. First up, a little bit on the Diamondbacks. They're now 1-5 against the lowly Mets. Uh, they've been very successful this season, the Diamondbacks, against teams under 500. They are 40-19 against teams below 500, not named the Mets. Obviously, not good against the Mets. Last night, two things that we've uh, seen with frequency since the All-Star break. Almost no offense and bad base running. Arizona managed just six hits in the 7-1 loss last night to the Mets. Uh, the Diamondbacks the last two nights have scored five runs against uh, Jose Buto and also Joey Casey. Over the last two nights, the Diamondbacks are 3-for-21 with runners in scoring position, including 1-for-11 last night. Also, the bad habit of running into outs continued last night. Last night, Lourdes Guriel Jr., it looked, he looked like he was a t-ball player, just running until he was tagged out. Uh, you know, I don't understand what the hell he was thinking. I don't think he was thinking. Uh, when he tried to turn a single into a double and had no chance to get to second base safely. Uh, the Diamondbacks, they have little margin for error on most nights. Uh, especially on a night that Zach Gallen is not pitching well. He was bad last night, primarily because of location issues. The bottom line for Gallen, he gave up seven runs, six of those earned in just five innings. He gave up eight hits, two walks, five, uh, four strikeouts, threw 90 pitches to get the 15 outs and only 57 strikes. The bottom line, the Mets uh, continue to dominate. Uh, this just isn't a bit of thing. The Diamondbacks' issues with the Mets did not start this season. The Mets have now won 18 of their last 22 games over the years against the Mets. Um, so that's uh, not a good thing. Uh, today they play again. Final game of the four-game series. That's a 1-10 start. Uh, the scheduled pitching matchup is Merrill Kelly, 11-6 and with a 316 or run average against Mets ace Kodai Singa who they moved back a day uh, to start today. He's 10-7 and seven with the 307 or run average. Senga, who's been one of the few good Mets players this season or performers this year, 
that included a dominant performance earlier this season against the Diamondbacks on July the 5th. Singa in eight innings allowed one run, four hits, one walk, and had a season high in a Major League high because this is his first year in Major League Baseball, 12 strikeouts in that game. All right, on to the phone lines we go. And Matt in Phoenix, I'm at. Bob, how you doing? This is a lot of uh, you know positive talk around the Mets. And, That's uh, right. Let's go it. Mets. Oh, great <laughs> um, Except for against the Diamondbacks, apparently. I hope this yeah. is what I think is last start of the year. Um, there's there's no need to throw him any any more innings, in my opinion. So he's uh, he's been really good. Why you watch? You, I, I quit watching the Mets forever, except for the last yeah. three days. Why has he been so good? Uh, the splitters or the forkball, whatever they're referring. The to. Ghost, the, the ghost the ghost forkball. Fork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been terrific, um, and the locations improved. Uh, throughout the season uh, of all his pitches. So um, when he gets that pitch in the strike zone, um, it's, you know, next to unhittable. So I, I think he's I think he's really good. And like you said, I think one of the only positives for that, that team. And hopefully he recruits his, uh, his Japanese friends who uh, come to the Mets because God knows they need some starting pitching. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar. I wouldn't. I wasn't familiar with Senga before this year, quite frankly. Yeah. But yeah, I know that there's another Japanese pitcher that's going to be on the market this off season and as free agent as a free agent, and uh, that's a big deal. Yes. Um, are you? I I was shocked when you gave your breaking news. Are you done by this? I am. Uh, you know, I just came across when I was during the break there. And uh, I am surprised. You know, I think this is more of an ownership problem than a general manager problem, or whatever that, whatever the official title, uh, you know, that uh, you know, that Heim Bloom has had in, in Boston. So yeah, um, which makes me wonder if there's other something else going on here. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't think he wanted to trade Mookie Betts, right? That was more of a no. Hey, we're not yeah. going to pay him what he's worth. Uh, ownership correct. Position. So, totally. Um, and they've over. Uh, I mean, he's made. Year. He's made some bad decisions, personnel-wise. I think, though, he has. But you know, every general manager doesn't do anything perfectly. But of yeah, yeah. And I try to avoid the word "shocked." And the the words "shocked" and "great" are two words I try to avoid yeah. in this, uh, in the life in general, let alone this show. But I am shocked by this. You know, we we've talked a lot about Alex Cora and how good we think he is. They must think that. Their um, success this year, relative to what people thought, was much more uh, Cora than it was, you know, the team Bloom put together. Well, that part I might buy. <laughs> uh, agree with that. I think the, Cora's terrific. Yeah, I could make a case that Cora and Craig Council are the two best managers in baseball. I so. agree with that. I agree with that. Um, so maybe that part I agree with, but yeah, I just, I just didn't. Like I said, I wonder if there's something else going on here. That's fair. Um, that uh, led to the uh, decision of the Red Sox, and especially now, why, why, why wait this long? Yeah, odd, odd decision making. Um, I wanted to talk a little college football, Bob. I want to start off with the can't spell citrus without UT rivalry game. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, fantastic quote from uh, Steve Spurrier back in the day. Um, yeah. Florida ha- hasn't been impressive, and, and my gosh, putting your money on Graham Mertz is stomach-turning. Um, but I think it's, 
think it's pretty clear that Milton does not run this offense the way that uh, Hendon Hooker does. And um, Napier has been really good as a dog, even at Florida, um, especially at home. Do you have any opinion on this game, either from a, a betting perspective or just as a, as a football game? A little bit. I mean, I kind of agree with you. I'm not betting on it, but because uh, I just, you know, unfortunately, I watched, you know, David talked about it in the last segment. I watched that Utah game, and they just looked like they didn't have that many good players. I uh, so I can't take, I can't bet on floor in this game, but I've been very unimpressed, you know, with Tennessee, even though yeah. I must admit, I really haven't watched much live Tennessee because they were. Yeah, we wasn't going to learn anything watching those two games, but I Correct. did watch highlights in the SEC Network. I uh, always watch that wrap-up show on Saturday night in the SEC Network, and it's not like you know this is the SEC Network, and it's not like they're that impressed so far with Tennessee sure. and just the highlights. Uh, there's been some bad plays, uh, so maybe you know Milton is an interesting quarterback. I mean, if it was. Uh, yeah, if you had, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, his velocity is very high oh when God. he throws the ball, but his accurate—he's he, like a uh, baseball pitcher that has good velocity and no, absolutely no command. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about your Ohio State football team, more so looking ahead to next week, which, by the way, is a fantastic college football slate. Um, is Ryan Day slow playing these initial games, or is the the quarterback room uh, at Ohio State just not what it's usually been? I don't. Well, I think that's true. I mean, it's a high bar, quite frankly, as far true. at least Very college. Uh, as far as college, Absolutely. you know, college ex, uh, success and effectiveness. I actually think McCord's been fine. Uh, okay. They have a left tackle problem. He had three penalties last week. The left tackle against Youngstown State and didn't block anybody the first game against Indiana. Okay. Uh, so, you know, they had to replace two tackles that got drafted in the first round in the third or fourth round. I don't remember where Jones got drafted by Cleveland, but by the way, Jones is now the starting right tackle from Cleveland after the Conklin injury. Yeah. Uh, so they better hope he's good. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they had to replace those two guys and also their starting center and their offensive line is – this may be the worst offensive line since the first two years that John Cooper coached at Ohio wow. State, and that wasn't okay. his fault. That was when Earl Bruce didn't recruit anybody, and that led to Earl Bruce getting fired eventually. He just assumed that, you know, because it's Ohio State, that he didn't really have to work very hard and recruit. And uh, that led to the led to the end of his tenure there in uh, the the really very bad first three or four years that Cooper had there. So I'll double down on that. Um, do you think Notre Dame's any good? Um, and do you I'm think? Very, yeah, I'm really impressed. I thought their defense would be good before the season started, but I okay. yeah, and I know Hart, I know Hartman's good. Yeah. I'm really surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. They seem to have a, a arsenal of running backs and wide receivers all of a sudden, and that uh, could be a, by, by the wide receiver part of it. Yeah, that as well. that yeah. could be a real problem next week for Ohio State because I have no idea if they're any good on defense. Okay, and then lastly, Bob, I was never going to change. Are they? They could put a clause in a contract that that calls for you know twenty points a game, and they're still going to play the way they always do, isn't it? I mean. The the game the beautiful game that was the Cyhawk 
rivalry last week, 20-13 to 13 with a defensive touchdown by the Hawkeyes. I mean, Kirk Ferentz isn't going to allow them to open up an offense at all. I have no idea. I mean, I know they've played two games, and I haven't watched five minutes of those two games. Okay. Um, they go to Penn State next yes. weekend. That's probably not going to go well. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. even though, you know, at Penn State? yeah, I think he's good. Okay. Um, okay. You know, I'm not quite buying everything else yet, and I I'm not going to really be. I'm not going to buy Penn State until he beats either Michigan or Ohio yeah. State because I believe fair. he's done it one once or twice. He's done it, I think it's twice uh, so far in his long career. So we'll see if uh, Franklin can pull that off. All right, good stuff as always, Matt. I think a wide variety of topics. All right, next segment we'll come back and wrap up the Sports Zone. Don't forget the extra points coming up in the next two hours hosted by Kayla. More phone call time then, among other things. Also, I'm sure we will get into the the, uh, Thursday night game. And usually it takes, uh, at least to my recollection, a few weeks into the season before the Thursday night game has been somewhat wrecked by injuries. Uh, it's a short week, and that's always a bad thing, usually for the road team. Uh, but you know, also, it's usually a thing that if you've got anybody that's you know shaky as far as injuries go, they're not going to play. There could be as many as six key players, three from each team, not playing tonight in the Minnesota at Philadelphia game. So we'll get into that without question. You're listening to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castellux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's National Roundup. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castellux HD 2 100.7. A rapid fire segment. Let's do quickly some rip from the headlines and from the wire. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, not going to retire. Uh, he, uh, his social media declared that his intentions of coming back. He had a quote in there. I shall, uh, yet again, return. There we go. Something like that. Meanwhile, college football, college, uh, Kentucky offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, uh, released from the hospital and he'll coach in this week's game against Akron, according to ESPN. That's just an update from this week because uh, it looked like that we didn't really know what was going on with Mr. Cohen, who used to be uh, uh, an assistant coach for the Rams with, uh, with uh, Sean McVay. Meanwhile, around Major League Baseball, former Diamondbacks executive Mike Rizzer, Rizzo, uh, now the uh, president of baseball operations and general manager of the Nationals, he got a contract extension officially. Uh, Shohei Otani missed a 10th consecutive game. He was originally in a lineup, but he was scratched yesterday because of the right uh, uh, oblique strain. Why is he even still active? Get you know, Just move on and have the Tommy John surgery or whatever needs to happen. But it's the Angels being the Angels. But this is more of an Otani thing. His representation should just be, you know, let's, let's get this over with or let's move on. Meanwhile, the Twins are still planning that the oft-injured Byron Buxton will play again this season. Twins headed for the playoffs almost certainly. He's had some knee issues the entire season. In fact, he's been pretty much a DH when he has played this season. The Braves last night, they won their sixth consecutive National League East championship. Also, the Angels, they lost playing the Mariners yesterday. It was the Julio Rodriguez show once again. 
as the uh, the Rangers, uh, excuse me, not the Rangers, uh, the uh, the uh, Mariners, excuse me, beat the uh, Mariners. Uh, they beat the. I'll get this right. The Mariners beat the Angels last night. That was actually an afternoon game too. So other than that, I've been really accurate here. Three and two, three to two was the final score. Uh, Luis Castillo really good once again. Then they got him enough runs this time for him to win the game. Meanwhile, the Rays win again at Minnesota, or not again, but they won at Minnesota after they blew the game the night before. Uh, Randy Arena, his tie-breaking homer in the uh, th- the third deck at Minnesota. Apparently, there's only been a handful of players that have ever hit a home run in the third deck to left field there. He did it, and they won 5-4. to four. The Rays win against the Twins. Beginning tonight, the Rays and the Orioles, a four-game series in Baltimore. And the Orioles for this season, 6-3 and three against the Rays. So we'll see how that goes. Aaron Savali against Kyle Bradish, the scheduled starting pitchers tonight. All right, that's it for the Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. The Extra Point's coming up next, hosted by Kayla. More phone call time, among other things, 602-260-1060. Also more on the Eagles and Vikings injuries. Both teams have several of those heading into the first Thursday night game of the season since the season has started. I know last week there was a Thursday night game, but this week we got teams that have played a game and we already have several injuries. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening.